0: Welcome to News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, January 30th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Officials today confirm the first person-to-person transmission of the coronavirus in the U.S. as the virus continues to spread globally. On Capitol Hill, senators kicking off their final day of questioning in the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump before the critical votes on whether to hear from witnesses. And the Remain in Mexico policy one year later. We'll take a look at the difficulties facing migrants as they wait for their shot at new life in the United States. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. Today, the Senate continues with another round of questioning as the battle over witness testimony heats up. So far, senators have asked more than 90 questions on everything from executive power to the ability to call witnesses. <laughs> ALL EYES ARE ON THE SENATE JURORS AS THEY SUBMIT QUESTIONS IN THE TRIAL, THE FIRST FOR PRESIDENT TRUMP'S DEFENSE TEAM FROM THREE KEY REPUBLICAN SENATORS WHO COULD HELP DECIDE WHETHER WITNESSES WILL BE INTRODUCED.
1: IF PRESIDENT TRUMP HAD MORE THAN ONE MOTIVE FOR HIS ALLEGED CONDUCT, SUCH AS THE PURSUIT OF PERSONAL POLITICAL ADVANTAGE, ROOTING OUT CORRUPTION AND THE PROMOTION OF NATIONAL INTERESTS, HOW SHOULD THE SENATE CONSIDER MORE THAN ONE MOTIVE IN ITS ASSESSMENT OF ARTICLE One? And their
0: response?
2: If there were a motive that was a public interest, but also some personal interest, we think it follows even more clearly that that cannot possibly be the basis for an impeachable offense. Once you're into mixed motive land, it's clear that their case fails.
0: The Q&A session went well into the night. The senators taking turns, pressing the House impeachment managers and Trump's defense team to elaborate on their views.
1: Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. All quid pros are not the same. Some are legitimate and some are corrupt. And you don't need to be a
3: mind reader to figure out which is which.
0: Meanwhile, pressure is mounting over witness testimony. Republicans pushing for a speedy trial say if Democrats call witnesses like former National Security Advisor John Bolton, they'll have their own wish
3: list, too. I want Adam Schiff. I want Hunter Biden. I want Joe Biden. I want I want the whistleblower.
0: Bolton's unpublished book reportedly claims the president withheld aid to pressure Ukraine to investigate political rival Joe Biden and his son. The president attacking Bolton on Twitter, calling his book nasty and untrue. But minority leader Chuck Schumer's optimism is now diminishing as the clock runs out.
3: The president and Mitch McConnell put huge pressure on these folks. I hope we can get witnesses and documents it's an uphill fight are we like is it more like than not probably no but is it a decent good chance yes
0: now to the latest on the coronavirus at least 170 people are dead and more than 800 8,000 cases have actually been confirmed in mainland China as the illness spreads rapidly across Asia and the rest of the world. Nearly 60 million people are under partial or full lockdowns in China, while more than 100 cases have been confirmed outside of the country. Lorraine Caceres joins me with the latest on this situation. Lorraine.
2: Andrea, that is correct. We are now learning from the Centers for Disease Control reporting the first person to person spread of the coronavirus here in the United States. There are now two cases in Illinois. The first is a Chicago resident who traveled to China. The second person is the spouse of the first case who did not travel to China. The White House announcing the creation of a special task force to deal with the threat of the deadly coronavirus. The president tweeting, we have the best experts anywhere in the world, and they are on top of it 24-7. The task force is meeting daily and will help monitor and contain the spread of the virus. It will also ensure Americans have accurate and up-to-date health and travel information. In the U.S., patients in 36 states are being monitored for symptoms, but only a A handful of cases have been confirmed this is the march air reserve base in riverside california where the first americans evacuated from wuhan are being monitored
4: this is a very serious and rapidly evolving situation this is a potential public health threat in the united states
2: the coronavirus has now spread to at least 20 countries. The latest cases have been found in Singapore, the Philippines, Finland, and Italy, where thousands of passengers are stranded on this cruise ship after a couple came down with a fever and had to be transported to a local hospital. Those two passengers are from Hong Kong, where the high-speed train to mainland China has been closed. And on the mostly empty streets, this is the scene. Endless lines of people trying to buy protective. Of it's the same scene in Shanghai. Fear growing as Chinese health authorities report their biggest jump yet of deaths in one day. New hospitals in China have been built at record speed in a matter of days to respond to the overwhelming demand. Since we started receiving patients here on January 22nd, we have not left this clinic. Throughout the whole week, I have only slept 20 hours. We really need more medical workers to support us. All of our staff have been working day and night with no rest. The U.S. has plans to evacuate all Americans left in Wuhan, but the process will take a few days as the city is in lockdown. Some of the people left behind are upset that all consulate employees were evacuated first when many there are dealing with passport and visa problems. Back to you, Andrea.
0: Thanks so much, Lorraine, for that report. On Wednesday, the Pentagon announced 50 service members have been diagnosed with traumatic brain injuries following a series of Iranian missile attacks on an Iraqi base housing U.S. soldiers. That number, a sharp escalation from the originally reported number of 11 injured. Now, here to talk about the impact of brain injuries on service members is Jeremy Butler. He's the CEO of the organization Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and also also a service member with the Navy Reserves. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So most of those 50 soldiers are now back on duty after treatment, but 18 of them were taken to Germany for additional care and evaluation. Do you have more information on how those troops are doing and the severity of their injuries?
3: I don't have anything other than what's been reported publicly so far, but I think the fact that uh, those 18 were transported on to Germany is a good indication of the seriousness of their injuries. And it really kind of gets back to uh, what has troubled us from the beginning with the comments that the president made uh, after word started coming out that we did have service members uh, who were wounded in this attack. Uh, You know, 50, as you said, uh, were treated for concussions and traumatic brain injuries. The fact that 18 of them had to be uh, flown out to Germany. is indicative uh, of the seriousness of these kind of injuries. And that's why we call it the signature wound of war uh, for the post 9-11 generation. You see this a lot and it needs to be taken very seriously. And uh, the president's comments were were incredibly dismissive about that seriousness.
0: Now that you mentioned the comments, he actually recently downplayed the effects of brain injuries. We have a, a clip of what he said. Let's go ahead and take a listen.
2: Heard that they had headaches and a couple of other things, but I would say, uh, and I can report, it is not very serious.
3: What's your reaction to that? Yeah, it's startling. You know, I don't know if uh, it's out of just a lack of understanding about what concussions and traumatic brain injuries uh, are really like or if he was simply just trying to downplay uh, the seriousness of the attack on the U.S. But either way, what it does is coming from the commander in chief, what it does is sends a signal uh, that these types of injuries should not be taken seriously. Uh, To downplay them like that uh, is to give the impression to those who are suffering from these uh, that they should not seek treatment, that they're uh, perhaps less important and other injuries that people are receiving on the battlefield. But the reality is uh, that these really are the signature wounds of war from our generation. You know, Over 400,000 uh, servicemen and women since 2000 have been treated for traumatic brain injuries. And, you know, if you think about it, there really is no more important organ in the body uh, for an injury to be taken seriously than the brain.
0: Many describe traumatic brain injuries as an invisible wound. Why exactly is that?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it can be sometimes difficult in the immediate aftermath to know uh, if someone was hurt, the level of that injury and what the results could be. And I think that's indicative in the way that the numbers uh, slowly crept up as time went on uh, after this attack. You know, initially it was reported that there were no, no injuries. Uh, then I think it was 13, then 18, 34, now 50. Uh, sometimes it's hard to tell uh, until a few days later, uh, you know, what's the level of seriousness that has uh, resulted from these types types of uh, concussions, these blast wave type injuries, uh, because a lot of times there's no physical, visible wound uh, that accompanies the initial injury.
0: What would you say there are enough or not enough measures in place to protect troops against these type of injuries that we just saw?
3: Yeah, Well, I think it gets at the nature of war. You know, it's hard to always protect uh, everyone that's the Um, That's what going to war is all about. Uh, We have made real real incredible strides in treating and recognizing the seriousness of these types of injuries uh, since the the first uh, um, invasion into Iraq. Uh, So we've gotten better at treating them, but these types of comments from the president I think really set back uh, servicemen and women's ability to understand that when they do suffer these types of injuries, they need to be taken seriously, they need to seek immediate treatment. uh, And those that are supervising those men and women uh, need to make sure that they're getting the treatment that they need. So uh, we have made real progress in understanding and treating the seriousness of traumatic brain injuries and concussions. Uh, but the president's comments, I think, were a setback in uh, the the military's understanding and treatment and reaction to those injuries.
0: Well, speaking of the president, he also said that no U.S. troops were killed or injured in the January 8th attack. Do you believe that was for political gain?
3: You know, it's tough to say. We I, I think everyone understood that Both sides were trying to de-escalate after uh, the Iranians attacked uh, the the, the bases in Iraq, the U.S. bases in Iraq. Uh, So I think... You know, it's possible that it was an attempt to de escalate the situation, which, you know, was probably correct, but the way in which he went about it and the fact that he, uh, you know, really kind of denigrated uh, the service of these men and women by downplaying their injuries, calling them not serious, uh, saying that they're not as serious as other injuries that he's seen, uh, that was the absolute wrong way to go about it. And again, you know, I don't know if that was uh, simply to downplay the situation or simply because he doesn't understand the seriousness of these types of injuries, Uh, but that was an unfortunate comment and it would be. Um, a good step forward to hear the president come back, reiterate that he was wrong about that, and reinforce the fact that these are serious injuries that need to be taken seriously.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Jeremy Butler, and for sharing your opinion with us. Have a great day.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, you, too.
0: Thank you. And now moving on, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announcing a new plan Wednesday that aims to prevent more tragedies like the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. The plan provides training for law enforcement officials to recognize threats before they are executed. Authorities say more often than not, perpetrators say something to someone or post something on social media. Before carrying out these violent acts, the key is to intervene at that time. DeSantis says if the right measures were in place two years ago, police may have been able to prevent that deadly shooting in Parkland. This week marks one year since the Trump administration started its Remain in Mexico policy. Advocates say the rule has put tens of thousands of asylum seekers in harm's way while also making it more difficult for them to access protection in the U.S. Pedro Rojas has more on the policy's effects.
1: The Migrant Protection Protocol program that has sent thousands of migrants seeking asylum to Mexico has reached its first anniversary. Activists who provide legal aid at the border city of Matamoros said that only a few people have been admitted to the U.S. Some Venezuelans, some Cubans and few Hondurians along with few pregnant women have been able to enter, but their asylum process continues. It doesn't mean their cases are approved, says Gladyn Canna. The program was launched on January 25th, 2019, when Christian Nielsen was still the Homeland Security Secretary. The migrants are summoned to appear in tents installed next to the ports of entry, where via video conference they can present their cases. For some, the process is really frustrating. Normally, a judge sees me through a large TV screen. What do they ask you? I do not have much time to give my opinions there. What do you think about the process? I think that it's better to return to your country, Wilson says, who is an immigrant from Honduras. There are discrepancies among the official numbers. While CBP says that they have returned over 58,000 migrants to Mexico, the Mexican migration officials say they had received 62,000 without counting the numbers of January 2020. In San Diego, civil society organizations are demanding the elimination of the program. We want an end to the MPP and we want a restoration of asylum now. Activists also denounce that the lengthy stay at makeshift camps is causing impatience among the immigrants. Some have court dates scheduled for June, others for November, which are the last ones we have knowledge of. We understand that the process is long, but many are really stressed and desperate. Gladikana says, many migrants are just appealing the denials of their asylum requests. The government announced this week the Brazilians will now also be sent back to Mexico. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News.
0: Connecticut authorities executed a search warrant at the home of a man charged in the disappearance of his wife. Fotis Dulos is currently hospitalized after a reported suicide attempt. He was found unresponsive in a car in his garage after he failed to show up at a court hearing. The judge in the Dulos case ordered he'd be re-arrested, but Dulos's defense attorney calls his medical situation dire. Dulos has been charged with murdering his estranged wife, Jennifer, who is also the mother of the couple's five children although her body has not been found. And in Florida, authorities have found the body of Ernesto Caballero. He's the father of a missing newborn sought by police after three women were found murdered near Miami. Though Caballero was found dead, so far no signs of the one-week-old baby boy. The frantic search began after the women were found fatally shot, and that search eventually spanning the entire state. Caballero's body was discovered in Pasco County, and police say he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Meanwhile, in South Florida, authorities are facing growing pressure to take action against a family that allegedly allowed their dogs to attack a puppy in their own backyard. As Yomara Gonzalez-Govea explains, their neighbor says these incidents happen often, and we must warn you that some of the images you are about to see may be disturbing.
4: Hey! This video was published on Instagram. Three American Bulldogs clearly seen attacking a puppy. It has generated outrage in the community. Omar Falcón is the neighbor who captured the incident with his cell phone from the balcony of his seven-year-old son's bedroom. Three Three dogs devouring a puppy, he says. He went over to his neighbors, knocked on the door, and asked them if they don't see the puppy suffering. They responded they did, but were afraid of the dogs. Apparently, this is not the first time this happens, he says. Three years ago, his own dog was attacked by one of his neighbor's dogs. The size of the bite was really big, Omar tells me. And this is a picture from last year, scars all over this dog's face. We visited the house. The owner tells us that those videos have been a big deal, that they have even received death threats. Oh, I will shoot up your house, you dog face. Yeah, it's right there. Dog killer? Yeah and they deny that these violent acts occur with regularity at their home. They say this is an ongoing situation. It is not. But their neighbor says the opposite, contradicting the family. That's why they called the police and brought their complaints to the authorities' attention several times until Animal Control Services of Miami-Dade decided to visit their property. Spokesperson says that they did see a puppy that was hurt. However, she says that there was not enough evidence to proceed with pressing legal charges for animal cruelty and abuse of animals. The puppy was voluntarily handed to the authorities He has been receiving treatment and rehabbing at the local animal protection shelter. We were not allowed to see the puppy since it's considered to be evidence of the alleged crimes and an important part of the investigation here in Miami, Florida. So the question is how many charges do authorities really need to sanction these pet owners? They respond that if you tie up an animal, that is abuse. If you do not feed an animal, that is abuse, something that the neighbors also allege. They tell me that those animals are starving. Omar says they're teaching them how to kill. This animal advocate is upset that the authorities are doing nothing to address the situation, especially given the evidence. The screaming and suffering in the three to four videos clearly shows what's being reported. And the problem is still going on and no action is being taken. They also want authorities to investigate if the dog owners actually breed these animals for underground illegal dog fighting, something they deny. I have not slept. She claims she has not slept because of the stress, but also those demanding justice have lost sleep because of the alleged treatment of these dogs. And they promise they will not rest until justice is served at this home. In Homestead, Florida, Xiomara Gonzalez-Govea, U News. More of U News after
0: this short break. Welcome back to U News. The government of Nicolás Maduro said Wednesday that he is willing to mend broken diplomatic ties with Colombia. Maduro invited his Colombian counterpart to re-establish consular relations. He broke off in February last year after a failed attempt by opposition leader Juan Guaidó to force USAID trucks into Venezuela. Maduro's olive branch also comes a day after Bogotá's request for the extradition of fugitive lawmaker Aida Merlano, who escaped prison in Colombia and is now reportedly in Venezuela. And Mexico's president Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador criticized a directive from his own immigration agency that temporarily barred access to the country's immigration detention centers for nonprofit organizations that monitor conditions of migrants. The National Immigration Institute had said Tuesday that access for civic Activists and religious uh, groups would be temporarily suspended. Lopez Obrador defended his administration's poder, tougher immigration enforcement at the southern border but insisted there must be transparency. Uh, Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you haven't yet. Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.